This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars and politics podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Swara Saleh. And today, we're going to be talking about the politics of military spending and growth, a look into how the Clone Wars dealt with this familiar point of tension in their politics. Joining us today for this conversation is John Liang. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you here, John. Uh, John is a friend of the show. He's also a journalist that covers the Pentagon and a soon-to-be panelist at Star Wars Celebration Orlando on the Star Wars Military Panel. John, again, thank you for being here, and I hope you're enjoying your beverage. I'm definitely much so enjoying my beverage, as well as the koozie that's uh, encasing it. Yes, um, we only self-deal here, so we are rocking Beltway Banthas koozies, <laughs> of which we have a couple more, and uh, Drinking Fat Tire. This podcast is brought to you by New Belgium, New Belgium Brewery in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I'm super excited to dig into this, and this idea kind of came from two places. One, I just happened to be watching The Clone Wars, uh, the episode Pursuit of Peace to study for our Politics of Padme episode that came out last week. And then John mentioned his panel that he was going to be on. Um, this is the second panel you've been on for the Military of Star Wars? Yeah, the first one was first one was at uh, DragonCon last uh, September. And I remember you reaching out about that, and I think we had um, we played a little bit of audio from that mm-hmm. panel. But now John is participating at Star Wars Celebration Orlando. That is must be really exciting. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I'm doing it with Thomas Harper, who is a military JAG officer, and with Jason Fry, who wrote the book uh, Star Wars: The Star Wars Guide, Complete Guide to Warfare. So we'll have a good uh, all round discussion about Star Wars, about the military, about. Um, waging war about the military justice in Star Wars as well as compared to like in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be doing looking at like the, the acquisition about all the, the ships that they use both on both sides. Um, and we'll have uh, some some uh, audio and video clips of from either the movies or the cartoons as well. Now nice. you are a Pentagon journalist. Yeah, I cover um, the Pentagon for a newsletter company called Inside Washington Publishers. Okay. And they publish about 20 different newsletters all about the government, like Inside EPA, Inside U.S. Trade, Inside OSHA. There's also one called Inside the Pentagon. And I help maintain the website for all the five defense-related newsletters, InsideDefense.com. Are you particularly passionate about the military? Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to join, but, I, but I've got I've joined the Coast Guard, but I've got a bum hip and bad eyesight, so that kind of precluded that. <laughs> so the next best thing is just talking to a bunch of military folks all the time. So yeah, I remember the time <clears throat> I tried to enlist, and they were like, "You have two fake knees. Not, <laughs> not welcome. Fake knees? <laughs> yeah, I had knee replacements in oh. high school. I had two freak accidents, one involving soccer and the other involving." sword fighting um, because that's the natural thing for a Star Wars fan in their youth. I learn something new about you every day, Stephen. Yeah. Two, two plastic droid knees. Um, wow. 
How are you doing this week, Swar? I'm doing really good. I have had a busy week, um, you know, doing uh, job applications and working on skills. And I will also be going to Star Wars Celebration. I am extremely excited. This will be my second celebration. I went, as our listeners know, I went to the one, I was at the one in London as I was living there at the time and was representing Beltway Banthas, interviewed Brian Young and Riley Blanton, and... This time around, I'll be finally meeting in person our fellow retro zappers like Joe, Joe Tavano of uh, Bruise and Blasters, Dennis Keithley, and Darth Taxis of Starship Sabres and Scoundrels, and a bunch of journalists I'm a big fan of, such as Carly Lane, Donna Dickens, and others. But besides that, the main events are going to be amazing, seeing the Last Jedi panel and finally getting a trailer. Mark (laughs) Hamill is going to be there. He's going to be doing an amazing, I'm sure to be amazing, tribute to Carrie Fisher. It's going to be heart-wrenching but joyous to see at the same time. And another thing I'll be doing is... uh, uh, meeting with Coffee with Kenobi, what my pers- personally my favorite Star Wars podcast, mm-hmm. uh, that one I've listened to the longest, and also will be getting a picture with uh, the Emperor of the Galaxy himself, Ian McDermott. How so cool. I am so excited. I can't, uh, actually, it's not that I can't believe, but I'm excited to see that Hayden Christensen is going back to Star Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, that's a yeah. huge thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, it makes sense. It's the 40th anniversary panel. Um, I've seen some people say that, oh, well, if he's going to be at Celebration, then obviously that means he's in The Last Jedi as a Force Ghost. No, it means I, he needs a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most likely. Like, it is obviously completely possible that he will be in The Last Jedi. Yeah, I would say possible. I say go for it if it makes sense for the story, but... A, please don't shoehorn him in there. And uh, B, uh, his presence at Celebration has no bearing on what the actual filmmaking is going to be. And I know there are some naysayers out there who say I have no heart for saying this. I'm looking at you, Mike O'Connor, who's been trolling me a bit about this. But um, no, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing Hayden and Christensen at the panel there. And I'm sure he's going to have an amazing time. All of us fans are going to enjoy it. And it's going to be an amazing time. His panel sold out like in within. Oh, yeah. Five minutes yeah, of it exactly. going along. It was amazing. There's, oh, there's I didn't a get hunger out there yeah. for this. There is a legitimate hunger out yeah. there for this. I think it yeah. might be generational, but right. I think a lot of people like to talk about the prequels, but they don't like to pretend that they don't exist. And, right. And totally, the fact yeah. that you can't find many prequel actors at uh, Celebration these days, the leading actors... It's kind of discouraging sometimes. I mean, I mean, look at the other uh, <clears throat> actors in the prequels. You have some really uh, Hollywood royalty in there. Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, um, others. Uh, Ian McDermott. Ian McDermott's not doing as much. He should be because in my he's opinion, not a he's Hollywood the best. Guy. He, he's not no. like a Hollywood guy. So, you know, it makes sense that he would also be there. And Ewan McGregor. He, he might be there. Oh yeah, Ewan, I think Ewan McGregor will be there as well, actually. But I think as yeah, <laughs> Stephen just made an excited face, and uh, wish you guys could see that right now. Um, but uh, yeah, Hayden Christensen specifically, I think I think it's like you said, Stephen. He needs the paycheck. He needs mm-hmm. to. 
you know, make the rounds and, you know, keep his image alive. But you're right in that there is that real hunger uh, to see uh, and interact with Hayden Christensen as he was for many people, their hero growing up. Hey, what is it? Distance makes the heart grow fonder. We've got a little distance. And I think yeah. everybody has been talking about there is a fair amount of prequel nostalgia yeah. um, kind of starting to, to rear its head. And I think it's uh, it has something to do with the new trilogy. And in totally. a lot of ways, how uh, I say this, I say this like cautiously, but unoriginal, the new trilogy is so far. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of prequel nostalgia that is growing because people are now going, oh, that was at least an original story right there. A portion of the fandom first saw Star Wars, was introduced to Star Wars via the prequels, and they loved totally. it. They grew up on it. They, you know, that was their jam. Too, yeah. So, yeah. 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 Ra- raising my hand for that. Um, well, gentlemen, the. Star Wars and politics have been colliding this week. <laughs> the wars and the politics. Oh, dear. Um, there have been a couple notable clashes in the news this uh, this past week, and I got quite excited about them because we didn't have anything just a couple days ago to talk about for Star Wars <laughs> and politics, but now we do. Two things, starting one with... Imperial Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the Council permanently. The last remnants of the old republic have been swept away. A certain Democratic U.S. Senator sent out the following. The Imperial Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. (laughs) (laughs) I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the council permanently. Oh my God. The last remnants of the old republic have been swept away. (laughs) That's glorious. This this, uh, quoting of uh, Wilhuff Tarkin was sent out by Dick Durbin, a Democrat in the U.S. Senate. I believe he is not, he's the deputy majority leader, like the deputy whip or something like Sounds that. Sounds right, yeah. Um, yeah. He's on the leadership team of the, of the U.S. Senate Democratic Caucus. Um, and he sent out this email in reference to the confirmation uh, proceedings of Neil Gorsuch. The Republicans went nuclear and dissolved um, the filibuster for Supreme Court nominations. Right. Um, and... Dick Durbin sent out a fundraising email letting everybody know, also getting him an opportunity to donate to his campaign because if you give him money, I guess he'll fight harder or something like that. Um, And basically likened the dissolution of the filibuster in this case to the demise of democracy on the level of the Republic, or I'm sorry, of of the Imperial Senate. Um, what did y'all think about this? So I guess I'm personally mixed on it because I don't think Neil Gorsuch necessarily deserved the same chance that, you know, uh, Republicans denied Merrick Garland, which was atrocious. However, the filibuster presents a whole set of problems, and many have argued that it actually is an undemocratic aspect in our uh, democracy. You know, it just like lets this one guy ramble on for hours or maybe a full day to not let a vote go through. And it's led to so many um, different uh, types of gridlock. And that's our number one complaint with Washington. I was listening to uh, Emily Bazelon of the Slate Political Gap Fest articulate on this. I highly recommend you guys listen to it. Um, but this isn't the full depth of the filibuster, only in terms of uh, so selecting and appointing Supreme Court nominees. Mm-hmm. And it's not the uh, legislative filibuster, right? It's not. It's not the legislative filibuster. And as to uh, Senator Durbin's uh, email, I <laughs> I appreciate. You know, I always appreciate a meshing of Star Wars and politics, but this obviously isn't on the level of you know dis. 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dissolution. Dis- dissolutioning, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Dissolving. Um, dissolving, sorry, dissolving uh, uh, legislative body. Although I understand his sentiment because uh, nominating a Supreme Court justice is one of the most important things that we have in our governing structure. You're, sure. you're essentially um, electing a uh, part of one of the three branches of government. So I understand that sentiment and... I feel that Republicans have done themselves a disservice in the long run for when Democrats, you know, I personally hope do get the majority again. And when they put in a nominee for a certain position, they have some of the president to go nuclear as well. So it's sort of a game of back and forth generally. And uh, we'll have to see how this plays out. Yeah, well, Democrats also did, I think maybe two or three years ago, back when they had the more than two or three years ago, back when they had the majority, they'd had inserted a, a similar kind of rule where, and I'm blanking on exactly what it was, but it, it was similar to going going the nuclear option. And you could almost argue that this is the Republicans going, okay, well, if you could do that, we can do this. And they sort of sort of set the precedent for it. So who knows? Yeah, Republicans call it the Reed Rule. Um, you know, cause right. of course, everybody just wants to tack the opposition's name on the front of it. Um, I think my perspective on this is a little bit similar to yours. I think the dissolution of the filibuster is definitely not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, I support fully the legislative filibuster. I think it helps create um, the environment for the Senate to be the most deliberative body in government, which mm. it is supposed and, to be, where the House compromise. Yeah. yeah, where that where the House um, operates in a much different manner. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> you know, it, it operates really by like this like horrible, emotional, uh, very quick um, majority rules. But the Senate is supposed to be slow and deliberative. And the filibuster, I think, ups the stakes for compromise and moderation with the Supreme Court. I think it never should have been allowed in the first place because mm-hmm. it, it, it perverts the incentive structure for just going along with who's qualified instead of making it about political alignment. Um, you know, the Democrats railed against Clarence Thomas right. mm-hmm. and they didn't even use the, the filibuster on him because even though they were railing against this guy for his politics, but also for, for a, a, like um, sex scandal, yeah. right. um, they still didn't use it because he was still a good pick right. for yeah. the court. Um, so I, I'm, I don't know, I'm happy to see the thing go. Um, mm-hmm. I happen to be a little biased just because of the, the current situation, but you know, I, I think it is what it is. I just got a good laugh out of Dick Durbin's email. <laughs> and I always, I always wonder when this stuff happens, you know, whose idea was it? Was, was oh, it Durbin's or was it his staff? It's gotta, it's yeah. gotta be a staffer. It's gotta be a staffer. So, so I just want to say one more thing, you know, although I expressed my disdain about, um, Gorsuch getting the same chance that, uh, Merrick Garland didn't. It is still relieving that we will now have a fully functioning Supreme Court. So that's a silver lining I take out of it. It's nice. It's nice to have things back to quote unquote normalcy. Um, it, it will pe- never be normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I quickly recant that. Uh, things are things are very much not normal right now. Very interesting. Um, I scratched that from the record. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which I thought was particularly amusing, was I saw on Twitter a couple hours late. Uh, um, thanks to Eric Geller from Politico, their cybersecurity reporter, um, that Thursday afternoon, there was talk that we were going to be taking military action in Syria. President Trump emerged from his cabin on Air Force One to talk to the press. He did so by poking his head out of his cabin um, to talk to the press room. And to the right, I guess to Trump's left, but to the camera's yeah. right, is a television where the press was watching 
Rogue One. (laughs) And when he pokes his head out is the scene where Krennic heads to Mustafar to see Darth (laughs) Vader. It was glorious. Oh, it was so funny. And there was just all this Twitter action as as normally there is because (laughs) Darth Vader's head is right next to Trump's while he's out there talking to the press and the volume of the television was still running. Like he was talking to the press while the TV was still rolling and sound. It was, it was amazing. So some of the best pictures from this was Trump with his head out the door and then the acolyte bowing in front of Darth (laughs) Vader um, in his, in his, in his little um, tube. Uh, what's back, it? Band, back, back to, to tank. Back yeah. to tank. Come on, Steven. <laughs> I know. His tube. And then and then Darth Vader coming out to meet Krennic. And so the internet was having a lot of fun yeah. with this because, well, like, what are the chances of that timing? It could have been Trump poking his head out and it's Jin Erso or, you know, it's, uh, it's Cassian Ender. But nope. It's Darth, it's Darth Vader, Vader. <laughs> and Krennic, yeah. It just it just had to be the Mustafars. It was so it was so funny. One of my favorite photoshops of it was somebody put Darth Vader sticking his head out of the president's cabinet, <laughs> and Donald Trump was on TV. That was that was a, a nice little nice little meta commentary right there. So yeah, that was hilarious. When, and I, yeah. when, did, when did y'all see this? I saw this uh, I think also on Thursday and. I guess I was just, well, for one thing, my immediate thought was, man, why didn't these reporters pause the movie? Do they not have deference for watching a Star Wars film? Come on. (laughs) That was literally my first thought. And I guess, um, you know, it's fun. It's like... uh, You're mad that Tamara Keith didn't go, hey, pause the movie. (laughs) Hey, pause the movie. Go, go, come back later, sir. We just, can we finish the movie first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tamara, remember, (laughs) next time, pause the film. You know, tell your... (laughs) No, of course, of course they have to actually do their job and like, uh, regardless of whatever's playing in the background, even something as sacred as Star Wars. And, um, you know, it was a fun moment. Um, I, you know, I think the main thing I... Other thing I took from it was... He's considering striking Syria. Um, you know, he's talking about military strikes at the same time as this war film, you know, that's about, uh, you know, resistance and rebellion. And um, I found it to be a very surreal moment, considering all of those factors. I, I don't know, John, what do you think? Yeah, because this was on Thursday afternoon when, the, when that photo first came out. And then mm-hmm. Thursday night is when the actual airstrikes happened. Yeah, And exactly. so it's... I was at home or I was at work right when the when those photos were first tweeted out and I was watching Geller go absolutely Yeah. <laughs> having Geller. a really good go to town with he had a really good time Mental with that. like yeah. he tends to do. <laughs> um, <sighs> and then later on uh, we hear about the new the airstrikes and then I've got a get a text from my from my boss saying keep an eye out on the White House website and on the Pentagon's website to mm. see when if and when they'll put out a statement on it. Okay. So at one point I was like, well nothing's coming out, so I just called the Pentagon uh, press room and of course, because of what's going on, someone immediately answers the phone. Usually there's like someone on duty or they'll, you'll go straight to voicemail. But of course, on a nights like this, someone immediately answers the phone. You could hear a lot of other stuff going on in the background. Um, and so I just asked uh, the person who answered, you know, are you going to, what time are you going to be putting out a statement? He said, uh, very, very soon, like literally just, you know, watch your, watch your email It'll be coming in. It's like, okay, boom. 10 minutes later, I would have came. One of my coworkers got the White House statement. We put together a really quick blog and posted it just with uh, Trump's statement and then right below that mm. the DOD statement so yeah it was it was a very kind of weird day because he's talking yeah. about Star you know with a Star Wars in, in reference about 
we're thinking about doing this, and then which mean which if if you cover the Pentagon or if you cover the government any for any period of time, it means it's not they're thinking about it; they're planning it. It's yeah. in the works. It's just they they haven't they can't announce it yet. Yeah. So I mean, it's so surreal, you know, when we're talking about, for example, as we're doing this episode, talking about military spending and warfare uh, in a very theoretical sense, and you have that meme going around and. I don't know what people are saying about, you know, they're probably like treating the thought of actual warfare as such a distant thing. And for it to happen that very night is, I, I can imagine, just super surreal. It was in the works. I mean, this is not yeah. something where they're like, oh, yeah, no, this, they, they, chances are he decided this sooner, a lot sooner than people think. Right. Just okay. because the, the, the way things happen in right. the government, they don't announce it until much later. So right. any major event done by the government happens way, it starts, the planning for it starts way, way, way sooner. Chances are, of course, DOD always has, you know, contingency plans for anything. So probably once those photos came out of, of the, the children and the people who were gassed, mm. uh, I'm sure Trump said, okay, fine, let, let's, you know, give me some options. All they have to do is, you know, basically call up the files. Say, here you go. Yeah. This is what we can do. These are the ships we've got. This is what's in the area. We can do fighters, we, you know, a launch, launch off of a, a carrier. We can, uh, you know, launch missiles off of st- destroyers. Mm-hmm. These are your options. You did, you know, now, now it's your turn. You have to decide what to do with it. Wow. All right. And with that, I think it's time to go to our main topic. Today we're going to be talking about budget appropriations. Yay! Yes. Woo-hoo. We've been actually getting a lot of feedback on Twitter about this episode about how amazingly exciting and sexy the idea of talking appropriations <laughs> is. I can't tell if some of it is facetious or quite genuine from our, our Star Wars and politics uh, obsessed fans. So... To all of you listeners who are actually excited about appropriations in Star Wars, uh, I salute you. Bless your hearts. Looking at you, Seth Maskett. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Politics is War by Other Means. Uh, Carl von Clausewitz. 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 It's German, Prussian. Take what you will. So... I actually, you you said this quote to me because you had mentioned that this is the premise of the military panel, Star Wars Celebration, that politics is war by other means. So talking about war in terms of a political podcast doesn't really, um, there's no disconnect there. And what was funny was as I was preparing for this episode, last night I was watching uh, All the Way on HBO, the uh, Lyndon B. Johnson mm-hmm. movie starring Brian Cranston. And Brian Cranston, or LBJ, says the line you know i was i was working on show notes for this and then he said politics is war by other means carl von clauschwitz said that once <laughs> that's my really bad southern accent Brilliant. um so i just I, I thought it was funny how this all clicked together um the basic idea of this conversation is that war costs money today we are going to talk about one of the most notable battles of the budget wars seen in star wars which is the funding of the Clone Wars. And we will also touch on the acquisition of military supplies and weaponry and maybe give a nod to military justice while we're talking our way through. The last two bits will be a little bit more brief as we want to save the fun for Star Wars Celebration Orlando, where John will be giving a panel or participating in a panel on this very topic. So if you are going to Star Wars Celebration Orlando, take a look out for the Star Wars and military panel. It's on fr- uh, Friday at 10.30, so it, it it's overlaps with... The Last Jedi panel, or Last Jedi panel, so we're hoping that chances are, I know. <laughs> you didn't you hear that, listeners. If you can't get in <laughs> to The Last Jedi, come on, to our, come on over to our panel. 
Um, we're hoping that the actual trailer run that is shown at the very end of their panel so that we can get out of ours and run over <laughs> to one of them, to a TV and hopefully see it. Folks, this is a don't miss panel. That's, <laughs> yeah. what, that's what John is trying to say. <laughs> Do not miss this panel unless you can get into the last bit. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's um, not, no, I get it. No, I totally understand. But the good news is that if you do happen to miss that panel, uh, I am under the impression right now that Beltway Banthas will be receiving the audio yep. from that whole panel. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be a little bit light on a couple of topics so that you can check out this audio here in just about two weeks and actually hear the entire panel for yourself from Celebration. I'm very excited. Yep. Thank you for yep. setting us up with that. My pleasure. So I think where we're going to start with this is the creation of a clone army. Or more so, dun, dun, dun. more so the sanctioning of that clone army's use. Because the most important backdrop of the Clone Wars is that nobody knew that they had this army. <sighs> yeah, um, yeah. If you remember, in Attack of the Clones, this army was built and ordered by a mysterious Jedi named Master Sifo Diaz. And this is a conspiracy. It is a it is a conspiracy to the highest level. Um, Palpatine, Dooku, they these guys are all involved in some way in creating this army, and then basically shoehorning it into the Republic's agenda. So when the separatists become uh, military power, militarily powerful, and a threat to the Republic, um, the battle is not for whether or not to create a clone army. It's whether or not to use them. Right. So the Military Creation Act is where this starts in Episode 2. And as my first act with this new authority, I will create a grand army of the Republic to counter the increasing threats of the Separatists. I think with Episode 2, I've said on the show many times, this is my least favorite of all seven or eight Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The politics of this movie are actually its biggest redeeming factor. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so about the clone army order, what's really interesting is, first off, so Sifo Dyas or Dooku or whoever it was that actually placed the order to the Kaminoans had to have put a down payment or something on it. Just like Dexter Jester said to Obi-Wan in the film, you know, it depends on how big your pocketbook is for these guys. So... First off, who paid for uh, the clone army, and where did the funds come from, do you guys think? You've asked a question I was not prepared for on this episode. (laughs) Um, That's a great question. I think I've got two ideas about it. Um, One, Master Sifo Diaz put in this order, and he put it in under the behest of Count Dooku. Count Dooku was working through this. Count Dooku is filthy rich. Right. My theory, without having studied this and and finding an answer on that question, for the original clone order is that there was probably a down payment put on from Dooku's personal wealth. Mm -hmm. And then the bill was picked up by the Republic when they actually (laughs) accepted the order. Oh, my God. Just like Dooku and the Republic were out to dinner and Dooku just like jotted away, leaving the bill to be paid for the Republic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure why not? He's yeah. finding new ways to undermine the Republic all the time. Uh, um, a forensic so, accountant had to have gone, would have had a field day with this, trying to figure out where all that money went and through which accounts. And It's, it's not just a country, it's a galaxy. Right. So it's, it could have gone through five different banking clans, or one the banking clan of five, through five different planet, planetary uh, uh, b- banks to get to Camino. That, that's another really good point. I mean, he had all of those economic uh, 
trade unions, like uh, yeah. working with him in the separatists. So they definitely would have helped with the funneling of the money and yeah. probably providing him some of that or maybe some of that financial resources. Like he probably tricked them saying he mm-hmm. needed it for something for the separatists. One of the biggest losses in episode two, as with episode three, are some of the deleted scenes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. After Padme is uh, nearly killed in an assassination attempt in the very beginning of the movie, she still shows up to the Senate mm-hmm. to speak out against uh, the creation yeah. of mm-hmm. an army of any kind or Great war. Scene. Actually, it's yeah. not about the army. It's about the confrontation with mm-hmm. the separatists, um, not specifically related to the clones because they don't know about the clones. Well, yet. it is still related to an army, about like, yes. putting forward a military creation act. Yes, yes. the creation mm-hmm. of an army, which is super dicey. Like That's an entire episode of itself is like, the idea of how the Republic would have an army when mm. it is sort of like a UN kind kind of body. Yeah. Um, the clones provided the Republic the perfect solution, which was that nobody had to chip in uh, human physical resources. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All they had to do was chip in uh, money yeah. and and just basically run up deficits for a bunch of cre- drones to create yeah. clone drones. None of their constituents had to go in, so they knew they're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. which uh, reminds me of in, in the propaganda of Star Wars episode, the fact that the Separatists and Dooku pushed propaganda that their movement was like a pro-life movement yeah. because mm-hmm. they didn't use sentient beings to fight the war right. and that the Republic was immoral because they were creating... Uh, flesh and bone creatures to be slaughtered and the separatists were the noble movement and you should align yourself with us because (laughs) we're not wasting sentient Your lives, yeah. They they just use sentient droids uh, and that's another topic in and of itself that's been ongoing in the fandom of whether droids are like slaves in the galaxy. Yeah, and that is is an episode to come. But Padme speaks out against this. Um, She says, quote, the creation of this army uh, is a declaration of war. Mm. And she says that to the Senate and I mean, in a lot of ways, she's right. I think if you look at um, American politics, this is a view that is commonly held, which is that just the escalation of your military is is essentially barbing your enemies Mm -hmm. and pushing conflict forward. And so she's taking the stance that we don't have to actually lob a bomb at Count Dooku and his forces. All we have to do is amplify our army, Mm -hmm. um, begin an arms race, and it's on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty normal. Yeah. It's, it's happened in history all the time. So um, Cold War. Yeah. The measure passed after Jar Jar offered a motion to give Palpatine the authority to make this decision. Uh, um, again, an episode in and of itself. But what we want to talk about... Uh, on Jar Jar Binks, Representative Jar Jar Binks. Uh, Jar Jar Binks as the representative of political ignorance. Um, <laughs> but do y'all think that Padme was actually right... In this situation, Padme's speech um, and this main quote that the creation of an army is essentially a declaration of war, she was operating under the assumption that these were normal circumstances. Mm. So was she right or was she kind of naive to what was actually happening? Um, well, there's one point where you to look at it is that you will, you're going to need an army anyway regardless just because of it's a galaxy-wide – it's a huge galaxy. There's going to be armed conflict some, at some point between – just because that's the nature of human of human beings of sentient beings, we tend to want to fight each other all the time. So you're going to need one anyway. Um, but at the same time, I can see her saying, "No, hey, we we go down this road. It's a road we cannot. It's a path we, 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 that I don't want to follow." Mm. To quote later, her saying something later on. So there's that end of it. 
I actually kind of disagree because uh, we were talking about this in a previous episode where um, we're talking about the Jedi as the peacekeepers throughout the mm-hmm. galaxy. You did have these conflicts, as you mentioned, John, uh, scattered throughout the galaxy. But, you know, typically it was like the Jedi became like a UN peacekeeping force and they would go in, deal with the conflict and, uh, you know, be on their merry way, go back to meditation and stuff. But um, with, with the Republic being so widespread, uh, encompassing most of the galaxy, with it being so united, I think a um, sort of military threat to it would have been rare and far and few between. Um, I think maybe, you know, this isn't canon or anything, but maybe the last great conflict was the Mandalorian War or maybe the Great Sith War or something Mm -hmm. that saw the Sith maybe become extinct. (coughs) Um, So Padme arguing against this, I feel um, is like, you know, it is exactly what she said. I love that deleted scene. I really wish they kept it in episode two um, because she was saying, why are we doing this? You know, yeah, these uh, uh, separatists are like uh, breaking away from the Republic and it is a threat to our union, but they haven't declared any war yet that we know of. So I think she was uh, acting in concordance with uh, the continuing norms of the Republic and how they usually do things and understanding, like maybe on her own planet or on other systems she's seen, that, you know, a... uh, escalation of army utilities would, you know, be seen as a threat coming from them. Unfortunately, uh, Padme is acting in good faith. Yes. Yeah, she's absolutely. acting in good yeah. faith. And what she doesn't know is that there is no good faith yeah. in this, in this situation. Yeah. She's dealing with Count Dooku. Count, Count Dooku is the apprentice of mm-hmm. the chancellor of the Republic. Right, right. And so whether or not she was able to block the creation of the army or block future appropriations bills, they'll find a way because yeah, but the system the is rigged. Yeah. But, but don't forget, she like immediately senses or suspects that it's Dooku who's behind her assassination attempt. Maybe she does recognize certain elements within separatists that would like to have a war mm-hmm. and that an attack on her life, you know, would try to rally a uh, sort of uh, escalation of military capabilities. And yeah. she wanted to avoid that. I mean, Padme is the smartest all throughout, which is why Palpatine won her off of Coruscant ASAP. Yeah. So the creation of the clone army is essentially a huge blow to the coffers of the Republic. Um, This is basically just written up into being part of the Republic's debt. Uh, The Republic is paying the banking clan for the financing of the loans for the clone army. Mm. The banking clan are run by the Munes, the Munalist people. Mm -hmm. Um, They also have representation in the Republic, along with the Kaminoans, uh, which is incredibly sticky. <laughs> Wait, is this during the Clone Wars? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. yes, yes. It's it's really unbelievable. So they take out loans to pay for war and the creation of more troops and supplies with the banking clan. The banking clan is running them a ten percent line of credit. Sweet. Now, pacifist senators or relatively pacifist senators like Bail Organa. Um, and, and Padme Amidala are not particularly excited about this, but they accept 10% interest uh, from the banking clan to create these troops and also keep the war going. Now, skipping forward to the middle of the Clone Wars, and this is in the, uh, the television animated series, what we arrive at is a detente between the Separatists and the Republic. They have reached out to one another. There is an effort between the Separatist Senate and Padme and some of her allies there to strike a peace deal. Now, of course, you have Palpatine on one side and Dooku on the other working to undermine this mm, peace. Right. 
So the separatists launch a suicide droid bomb attack on Coruscant. They rock the, the capital of the Republic with a bombing, and then the peace is called to be broken. Republic senators are yelling and screaming that, well, they attacked us, so we can't have peace. And they are pushing for the Republic Military Enhancement Bill. The Republic Military Enhancement Bill is going to add millions more troops uh, to the front lines because they are running out. They are running out of of, uh, human beings to send into the slaughter. What I found amazing about this is something I referenced earlier, is the motion to have more troops is brought forward by none other than Senator Halle Burton, who is the senator for Camino. Oh, yeah. Isn't that just gross? Yeah. The, the senator for Camino... Who is no stands, conflict of interest there at all? Stands to, <laughs> and, and John, I want you to speak to this as like an, a, an example, maybe in real life. The senator from Camino, they make the clone troopers. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are getting paid. They are the ones who put forward the motion to Chancellor Palpatine. In light of this unprovoked attack on Coruscant and the vulnerabilities it raises. We propose the Republic purchase an additional 5 million clone troopers uh, from us, by the way. Uh, John, this never happens. Oh, never, ever. No, goodness gracious me. Like the two-thirds of the, of the members of the Senate Armed Services Committee or the House Armed Services Committee, of course, the fact that they happen to represent you know, states that have major military bases on them or major defense contractors on them is completely coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> that is part and parcel of the way of the world we live in right now. Oh, it's just it's just stunning. Yeah. Uh, the con- the conflict of interest just never stops. Adding to conflict of interest. So what you have in the Republic is this amazing situation where Camino is a member of the Republic standing to profit from the creation of more troops. So what do they do? They only propose the creation of more troops. Now, offering the line of credit to pay for the troops is the banking clan. Uh, the people of Munalist or the Munalist people. Um, I think Moon. 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 Yeah. M U N N. Planet yeah. or system of Moon. Um, and what they are doing is playing both sides. They are in a situation where they are offering lines of credit to the separatists and they're offering a line of credit to the Republic while maintaining representation and a vote in the Republic. And they just say that they have nothing particular to gain from war, but that they are a bank. And that if you want a line of credit with them, they will offer you that. I just realized in discontinuity, uh, during the meeting that Obi-Wan spied on, there was a banking clan member there. Yes. And... I'm a little confused. So yeah, so that's a, a that's a clan yeah. member, yeah. Um, a clan member. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. a member of the banking clan <laughs> with a C. With a C. <laughs> um, the the banking clan is is made up of different factions and different groups. Oh, and the particular okay. person that you're seeing there in episode two is representing his own. Uh, part of the clan oh, and part okay. own interest, and there are there are those kind of overlapping uh, problems I with see. the banking clan. Is they have individuals who have a lot of money, and they are aligned with the separatists. But the official government, the the governing body of the banking clan, is still a represented member I of see. the republic, mm-hmm. and they are offering funding to both sides. And then what do they do after the deregulation of the banks? 
is they up the interest rate. They up the interest rate to 25%. Um, in the episode of the Clone Wars, The Pursuit of Peace, uh, following the bombing of Coruscant, with the Republic Military Enhancement Bill, the banking clan smells blood in the water, and they change their interest rate from 10% to 25%. Mm. And uh, Padme is in the office with the banking clan at that time, uh, along with uh, the senator from uh, Rhodia, Anaconda uh, Far, um, the Rhodian senator. And they go, this is theft! And mm-hmm. the the immunes are basically like, hey, you know, we we have a we have a business here to run, and this has never been a problem for you before. And she takes the interest rate back to Bail Organa. Bail Organa is running point on trying to shut down the the spending bill to enhance the military. Right. This is his baby, and this is his project. And he runs the numbers on this little, this little like iPad sort of thing <laughs> with little pie charts, and they, and he just sort of says something that just sort of appeased or, or spoke to my soul, which is it will bankrupt the republic. <laughs> um, you know, this this loan, there's a concern among senators about actually fiscal responsibility. <laughs> Where do you see that playing out in United States politics? Every day. <laughs> Um, it happens all the time. You've got uh, folks on the right who, are, who don't who want to spend money only on defense to the to the detriment to to and to the exclusion of a lot of other programs. And then you've got folks on the left who want to spend less on defense and more money on domestic programs on uh, health care, education, you name it. Yeah. Which is funny because Padme in this conversation with right. Bale. She says, the interest alone will bankrupt us. It has always taken a toll, or this war has taken a toll on our social services, our infrastructure, our education, and health care. Wait, how is this being distributed? Like, I'm confused right now. I would imagine each planet has its own health care and education system. You know, that, I mean, this, I, I was reviewing this episode this morning, and I'd never heard anything about Republic Healthcare, so now we need to find yeah. out. Uh, because this is, this is a, sc- a scandal that we haven't gotten this answer <laughs> in the prequels yet. Yeah. Well, there's the you know there's the question of how Republic Healthcare killed Padme in, in uh, her childbirth. That is, is so, that is true. Yeah. So this is this Although is. I think Polis Massa was in the outer rim beyond the Republic. To be, so. to be fair, <laughs> to be yeah. Fair. But no, actually, I was I was really interested by this little rift that you know Padme is very interested in preserving social services, infrastructure, education. And healthcare. Well, they definitely um, needed it. Very healthcare. common, very common American lines mm-hmm. in politics, particularly to the left. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but still, nobody, I think, on the left who's talking about social services very much talks about bankruptcy. That's a yeah, that's right, a Ron yeah, Paul yeah, thing. Yeah, that's yeah. a Rand Paul thing. Yeah. Um, usually, the only people who are talking about that is the Freedom Caucus yep. um, mm-hmm. on on the Republican side, um, like Justin Amash or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Nobody seems to talk about that. So. This episode, which is just full of talks of bankruptcy and the Republic's debt, uh, was pretty fascinating because there's a, a perception, I think, between most people who work in politics that all we got to do is just keep printing money and it'll be fine. We'll never, uh, we'll never in- reach the end of the road. That's not what we say. Okay. <laughs> oh, actually, I don't mean, I don't mean the left or I mean just like um, voters. I mean, oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the idea... The idea of bankruptcy is abstract. Right. Yeah. What does it look like? Mm-hmm. What is what does a bankrupt country look like? I mean, I mean, it's never Venezuela. Ab- 
Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's never happened really before for us. I mean, and the thing is, if we actually did default on our deficit or, or on our uh, debt, or our debt, um, that would actually. I've spoken about this before with people. It would be in the massive disinterest of so many people, corporations, and yeah. countries worldwide. I mean, you know, we owe, owe a lot of debt to China, but they don't want us to default. Like, you know, they've got so much business here that would be a serious detriment. To yeah. them. Well, it all has to do with lines of credit and. And, you know, I mean, we all deal with credit scores on a day-to-day basis. I just just got a new credit card in the mail this week because I needed a new credit card. Um, And your credit score is everything. You can't get a house. You can't Mm. get a car. You can't get this or that unless you can be trusted by your creditor that you're going to be responsible and that you're going to be paying. And so when you really just try to think on the small scale and then think on the national scale with America, it, it, it kind of... I don't know. It's hard to make the leap. What does it look like if America can't get a loan or they can't actually get more money for something Mm. and then blow that up to a galaxy? What does it it mean for the republic to not be able to get a loan? Um, One of the more fascinating uh, threads that I've seen on Reddit was a question about how the Republic actually gets its funding. Um, they, Someone on Reddit asked, why were the banking clans loans needed in the first place? Mm. Why do y'all think? Why, do, why does the Republic need loans? Like, why does any country need loans? I mean, <laughs> war bonds during World War II, the government basically borrowed money from the people to be able to pay for building ships, tanks, everything else. That's how yeah. the cookie crumbles, basically. So I find this conversation a little confusing because the Republican, as I said, the Republic encompasses most of the known galaxy. So if it were to default or to go bankrupt, who, who too? I mean, just the banking clan or like another, uh, galaxy wide economic organization, but still probably one that works within the confines of the Republic. And, yeah. and sort of like going on a little ramble here, I would imagine that the separatists, along with taking so much economic force out of the Republic, um, you know, stood as a threat. Maybe the Republic would have to default to them, but how does that work? You're, they're on the opposing side of war. It's just you know, like, this is so confusing. First of all, there are a lot of ways that dictators can rise and, and take control of a chaotic situation. Right. Oh. One, one has to wonder if... Palpatine had plan A's and oh, oh, or plan, totally plan B's did. and plan C's. He's playing the long game. So one oh, way yeah. or another, he was going to get power. I mean, yeah. again, I love Uncle Palpatine. Venezuela is like a good example of this. I, I, but you don't need what happened in Revenge of the Sith for him to rise. I mean, mm-hmm. you could have, you could also just bankrupt the Republic and everything crashes. Yeah. Like the lights go out. There's no more air conditioning on Coruscant. The Weimar Republic in, in Germany. Look what, look at that, that, how that contributed to yeah. the, you know, the rise of Hitler. Yeah, so. I, I, absolutely. I mean, people burning money in the streets to yeah. stay warm at night because the money is worthless. That is another situation in which people can rise to power and claim emergency and basically seize control of the entire situation. And, you know, one person on Reddit has said that, you know, well, how, why can't Coruscant's taxes can cover this? And, well, there Cor- are a lot of rich people on Coruscant. Yeah. Well, Cor- Coruscant is the capital of the Republic, but it's really just like one massive city. It's mm-hmm. not the, the Republic as a galaxy. Mm-hmm. There are cities upon right. cities and like right. thousands and thousands of people. So even if the Republic or the, the, the Coruscant has a, a massive and boisterous economy with tons and tons of taxes being paid, that's not enough to pay off a government that is supporting 
hundreds of worlds. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thousands of worlds. Yeah. So I love how in this episode and in our Padme episode, we've had confusing situations within the prequels that have been resolved as the, it being part of Uncle Palpatine's plan. And I love Palpatine all the more for it. I love this. Yeah. And I mean, that yeah. was that was something I just sort of thought of like right now. I mean, what if there was this other plan, which is that he goes the financial route? That could have that <gasps> yes, could have been yeah. a plan B. He's so amazing. Um, you had He's mentioned war bonds. And I just wanted to say for our listeners what war bonds are. So I'm just going to give a quick run in because World War II is a really important framing up to that. Um, A war bond is when governments need to borrow money. They don't always go to a bank or a person like a corporation might. They issue bonds. And a bond basically says if you give me X amount of money now, I will give you X plus Y percent in Z amount of years. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you this much amount in a certain amount of years. It's an investment. Um, in many, many ways. Um, So this is why you see all sorts of propaganda for war bonds during major conflicts. And the government, they need people to buy bonds in order to fund their war efforts. It's basically a win-win situation for both sides. The government gets the money that they need right now to build bombs and and make more guns and all this stuff. And you walk away with a promise that you're going to make money off of the purchase that you just made. Um, It makes a lot of sense. It was very popular in World War II. I have not seen it since. But the Republic actually was using war bonds. Mm. Um, This was not previously canon. But we now know, thanks to Star Wars propaganda by Pablo Hidalgo, that that war bonds did exist and they were being promoted by the artist Janor of Bith uh, with posters of clone troopers calling for people to buy war bonds on Coruscant because they needed all the help they could get. They were running up a massive, massive debt. So what ended up happening with this military enhancement bill? Sorry, guys, I'm still in the middle of season two of uh, Clone War, so have yet to get to it. Some House of Cards uh, kind of <laughs> craziness. What? <laughs> it was nuts. It's um, a kid's show, believe it or not. <laughs> no, I mean, so my daughter my daughter complained about this episode once because I, I was watching with her and she's like, this is boring. This is politics. And then <laughs> oh, then, it got, then it got violent. Um, <laughs> what happens is Count Dooku is paying bounty hunters to rough up Padme's coalition who are against this bill. Um, the Rodian senator, Senator Farr, has his arm broken in a confrontation or in a, a getting jumped. Um, a couple of other senators appear in the Senate the next day wearing arm slings and having bruises on their face. And two of them go after Padme. They try to kill her in a back alley with a knife. And then there's an amazing chase scene where she flees them on a speeder, which is an amazing scene. Very well done. Okay, do these senators have security or what are they <laughs> doing? Think? I just like. <laughs> well, Padme uh, waved her security because Padme always waves uh, her security. Padme, Padme, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> she, she always gets into a bad situation by going, I can handle myself. <laughs> <laughs> But all right, hold on. But she does. She always does. She always does. She always You're does. Awesome, Padme, but, but there's usually an explosion. <laughs> Padme, keep. Well, I guess it's too late now. So I yeah. wish you kept your security around, yeah. especially around Anakin. Your security just wants to help. Just keep them. Just keep them around. Um, but there, this basically goes down by strong arming people into voting against the bill. And so I leaned over to my daughter uh, and I was like, "So is this still boring?" And she <laughs> she whispered into my ear. She went, "I've changed my mind." <laughs> I was like, "Yes, this is this is like early eighteen hundreds politics." You know, 
Yeah. Uh, Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr and uh, Hamilton kind of stuff right here. Are you Aaron Burr, sir? <laughs> Talk less, smile more. <laughs> Talk um, less, smile more. So... Bail Organa is the one who is basically uh, at the front of pushing this uh, or tanking this appropriations mm-hmm. bill. And there's this really interesting scene where Padme and Farr go to visit a Quarren senator. Um, and the senator is interested in voting with them. He is sympathetic to the idea of maintaining social services and not paying for more soldiers. And there's this weird sexism in the scene, which I what? thought was mm. I thought was very interesting. I, I never noticed it from, from the Quarren. Yes, from the Quarren. He he looks at Padme and he says, "Why isn't Bale here?" And she says, "Well, he's working on the speech right now. She, he's going to be speaking on the Senate floor." And he looks at her again. And he goes, "Senator Organa, hmm. I'll listen to what he has to say." So you are open to voting with us? I said. I'll listen to what he has to say. And first, first, there's an air of like, well, he just trusts Bale more, and and that because Bale is a senior senator, he kind of views his opinion right. and and gets and gets his political level of comfort from hearing mm-hmm. it from Bale. And then he he looks at Padme again. And he goes, "I will consider this bill when I hear from him." Uh, and uh, and there, the way that he said him mm. kind of made it seem like it's actually sort of this gender thing going on. I'm a twist. Nice I never noticed up. that at all. Wow. There was this weird tension in that scene where it was actually like he didn't want to hear from the lady senator. He wanted mm. to hear from Bail Organa. I need to rewatch that episode. <laughs> um, oh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. <laughs> so long story short, the the assassins or the thugs go after Bail and he's injured and he cannot... Um, he cannot take the floor. We talked about this in last week's episode, the pers- uh, the Padme, yeah. uh, the politics Padme's of Padme. politics, yeah. <laughs> the politics of Padme episode. Um, and she gave the speech instead, and she actually brought a lot of people over to her side. She said, the creation of more warriors will not end this war. The financial cost alone will bankrupt and cripple the Republic by adding more clones to the conflict. We are escalating destruction, not winning the war, which is why we must vote for this resolution. Um, to promote more diplomacy and bring an end to killing and hatred. I'd like to advocate a new bill. Get these senators some good security. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just—I'm sure. Like when I watch this, I'm going to be like rolling my eyes and cringing. Well, maybe the Jedi should be there. Yeah, you think not one Jedi in particular. Maybe Anakin should be there. Rolling security. my eyes so much right now. We'll find the people who are trying to kill you, Batman. <laughs> Believe me. We will not exceed our mandate. <laughs> Move along. Move along. <laughs> That's the end of the road for me. <laughs> um, so the funding of the Clone Wars, I mean, is, is incredibly political. Um, there's a lot of sparring and jousting over keeping this war going. But I think what stands out to me about the funding of the Clone Wars more than anything is the cronyism. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's the who has the most to gain from war. And John, you touched on this earlier. There's always somebody who has a stake in war. When the U.S. Navy was first built back in the 1700s, um, when they built their those first, I think it was eight ships, ten ships, I'm forgetting the actual number, they made sure that they would get out of the 13 colonies, each colony had a certain uh, 
piece of that of those ships. Some colonists said they got the wood from Maine, they got the hemp from South Carolina. They got seriously the every single state. That's wow. how they fund. That's how that and that that model has has followed the U.S. history all up until now. Up until now. So yeah. any major weapons program, program like the current one, let's say the F thirty five Joint Strike Fighter, which is the most expensive military strike fighter we've ever, we've ever built, has components from all, from almost every state. Yeah. Like, so that each every senator, every representative has a stake because that means jobs in their districts. Right. You really don't have that anymore. There's such an extreme disconnect or distance between the military and the general civilian populace. You know, we've we're so inundated from it. It's bizarre when we compare it to what what we had before. What's interesting is that just recently, one of my colleagues wrote about this just that this past week is that for a long time, um, contractors would never say publicly. This is we are we, we've uh, we've got a contract to build X Y Z weapon system, and this will bring jobs to this state. Right. They would all, of course tell that behind closed doors to a senator or to a representative. Mm. Because yeah, that's that's their main thing. They want to make sure they keep the, they bring more jobs to their states. They would never say that publicly until Trump was yeah. one of his first utterances as president was. Oh, look at the F thirty five. You know, we need to fix it. Look at the look at the Air Force One. We need to fix wow. that. And. Then, because of that, we've had a, like almost like a turnaround where now con- defense contractors actually do come out publicly and say this is helping, this is bringing so many, so and so many jobs to this state or this particular state or or to whatever. Interesting. Yeah, that's insane. I've never honestly. thought of that. Y'all, this kind of brings us to the end of the road on military appropriations and the Clone War. Um, any closing thoughts? Anything that you learned today? Because I, I think. In my course of researching for this episode, I just sort of renewed my love of the Clone Wars series again. Mm-hmm. There's always there's always a new way in which I I'm just renewing my love for that series. It's a great um, series. From the board, that's the first thing I turn on. But honestly. I I was impressed by Bail Organa and Padme and their commitment to debt. Um, that's something mm-hmm. that I'm I'm pretty passionate about mm-hmm. myself. Um, I will say though that. Folks who are particularly like anti-war, the the debt is a political football. Yeah, and I have not heard Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer mention our deficits in eight years, mm-hmm. but they are now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's the way it works. Um, as soon as you have a president of the other party come in, then you hammer them with some of their tropes to basically try and hold their people accountable to things that they're going. So mm-hmm. now you hear a lot of talk about the debt and our spending problem because Democrats don't want to see spending on Trump's priorities. They want Mm -hmm. the spending on their priorities. It seems to me at the end of the day that nobody cares about debt. They just care about uh, the debt that they want. Right. Also, the way we're operating right now is right now Congress did not – Congress has not come up with an appropriations bill for all the different departments. We're, we're running on right now is a continuing resolution which runs out, expires at the end of May. I'm forgetting the ex- exact date. Yeah, the next and government shutdown. You exactly mean? <laughs> right. So there's there's a lot of talk about okay, fine. Under the under the current rules, the way it works is that okay, you've got you can have so much money up until this point, you can't have more. You can't, and if the only way you can spend on have war spending is through uh, overseas continued contingency operations OCO, which is not governed by the the BCA the Budget Control Act, which is what set these spending caps. If you're spending, if you put that money into the OCO account, you can spend as much money as you want, 
And so there's a lot of stuff going on in Congress about, okay, fine, if you want to bring that OCO, OCO money back into the main budget, fine, we want to do that. But the, but Democrats were saying, okay, if you're going to do that, make sure you also fund a lot of these other domestic programs as well. So they mm-hmm. so now they're going, oh, and then, so that, that that's a push and pull between Republicans who want to bring that in and have more fiscal responsibility and Democrats who say, okay, fine, if you're going to spend more, more, more money on defense, you better make sure you spend, don't make that to the detriment of all these other social programs yeah. as well. So Everybody wants to yeah. get theirs. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So I just had an idea for a pitch to Lucasfilm yes. and not simply because we're a Star Wars politics podcast and, you know, we've got plenty, 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 plenty to talk about. But the discussion right now of the Senate and Clone Wars and the budget appropriations process and, you know, what we have in our real world versus, you know, uh, the politics that are portrayed in the prequels or in uh, Star Wars generally, I think Lucasfilm, sometime down the line, should do a series about Star Wars politics, about the Senate, about, you know, stuff going on in the Old Republic or New Republic and just see more from the senator's point of view. Talk about this political, like showcase this political drama, Um, you know, have it maybe have it be a more mature series, Mm -hmm. have it be House of Cards or something for Star Wars or West Wing for Star Wars and see like the process of how Palpatine maybe if it was in the Old Republic was able to um, accumulate all this power. Obviously we have that displayed in Clone Wars, but I would love to see it actually in play in the politics in the Senate. The the Senator from Manassas votes aye. (laughs) Marlene votes aye. Please please, uh, Paulo Hidalgo or whoever at Lucasfilm Kathleen Kennedy if you're listening um, we have a please. big money making opportunity <laughs> for you we have, a, we have a great pitch for you so please uh, consider this and listeners let us know if you'd like to see see a series like this as well. yeah actually I think that's a great idea uh, if you have an idea for a Star Wars politics pitch that you think would be great to see on screen in some way, shape, or form, whether it be Netflix, on demand, premium television, or network television. Send us your just short idea <laughs> for where that series would take place. Exactly. Um, I personally, I would love to see a series for the New Republic days yes. where they're trying to figure out what to do with the Republic Our military. Government. Pilot would be written by Claudia Gray. Claudia Gray. Oh, please. Yeah, they set up all this amazing conflict in Claudia <laughs> yes. Gray's Bloodline book yes, about so good. the so priorities good. over military spending totally smoke, um, that we'll get around to. But that brings us to the end of our conversation on budgets, appropriations for the Clone Wars. Um, One thing before I forget, Anna, there's also in season six of the Clone Wars, there's like a, the Clovis arc where they yes. go into the banking clan as yeah. well. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on there as well. So I just want to make sure if people who are listening are going, wait, what about the Clovis? What about that one? Yes. There's also that you can. There's a whole bunch of politics and banking and deficit running and all uh, stuff you can sink your teeth in in, yeah. in those episodes as well. Politics can be really exciting, guys. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, as as this is laid out, and there's always more. There's um, always the, more. the, the, ba- the oh, banking okay. clan. There's just so much there, and one. I mean, we we skipped over two things. We didn't. We haven't talked and delved into in depth. The Military Creation Act. I mean, the the moment where the clones are actually created. Today, we mostly talked about upping the spending for more troops, which is incredibly relevant as we look at a new armed conflict um, yeah. here in the United States, and that's kind of part of why we, but yeah, part of why we wanted to to narrow that down a little bit because this is a conversation that we're that we're going to be having, right? Um, potentially, <laughs> <laughs> and we also 
skipped over the deregulation of the banks. Um, banking was different before the Clone Wars. And there's a deregulation that happens at some point, which allows for the banking clan to open up these new lines of credit and also up the interest rates. And again, that's its entire arc. And we'll uh, we'll talk about that as well, as well as Rush Clovis, which is a, a huge wrinkle yes. uh, in that entire story. But that does bring us to the end of our segment here today. Then we're going to be heading right out into Bantha Fodder. Um, John, first, I want to say just thank you for being with us today. Yeah, Actually, so much, in, the, in the studio. Anytime. By the studio, I mean my, my living room. <laughs> Wonderful right studio. Um, really cool. I'm working. nerdy out all, about all the posters you got here. Yeah. <laughs> Walls are covered in Star Wars and, and politics. Politics. Big. <laughs> and a Kylo Ren mask. Big surprise. The Kylo Ren mask was a really nice addition. My my wife got me that for Christmas. Uh, oh, the nice. Kylo Ren oh, cool. like voice voice changing mask. What? Um, but it's Sweet. small. Oh. It's tiny. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It's for kid, right? <laughs> it doesn't fit my face. So I was like. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'll make it a decoration. And I actually really like it. Nice. Um, just the cool. mask on the wall is kind of cool. Um, but Suara, do you want to take us away with Bantha Fodder? What is on your mind this week? Um, uninterrupted, unfiltered, what's going on? Thanks. So I've got two uh, parts to my Bantha Fodder, which are both completely unrelated. So please bear with me. Um, so Star Wars fandom can be, you know, it's no secret that there are some divisions in there. We disagree a lot on a bunch of things, uh, you n- whatever it is, you name it. But I feel that there's one aspect of all the films and all of Star Wars that is universally beloved, the music. What would Star Wars be without John Williams' rousing score? What would Rogue One be without Michael Giacchino's amazing contribution? What would Rebels be without Kevin Kiner's uh, yeah. excellent score? I think it's very underrated. So I last week, I created a Facebook group called uh, Sounds from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, with a comma between the two fars. Um, you know, what we're doing is, uh, just discussing Star Wars and music, you know, uh, John Williams, uh, score in the films and his other soundtracks and, you know, virtually anything else members want to talk about. We've had a poll, uh, recently about which artists would, we would like to see contribute something to, uh, another Star Wars film like Lin-Manuel Miranda contributed, uh, Jabba Flow to, uh, The Force Awakens. My personal vote was for John Legend. I would love to see something like that. But basically a pitch to our listeners, if you enjoy Star Wars, if you enjoy the music of Star Wars or anything in between those two, come over to our group. It's a closed group currently. So you'll have to request to join, but I'm basically going to confirm you anyway, you know, just to manage (laughs) things generally. And please, I would love for you guys to join and come in the conversation for something all Star Wars fans can love. And uh, my second uh, Bantha Fodder is about sort of goes in the theme of war and uh, military appropriations and the news we were talking about in our opening segment about President Trump launching uh, around 50 uh, Tomahawk missiles into Syria. Excuse me. And uh, so I've seen the media portray this mostly as a sort of heralding moment as as President Trump stepping into a presidential role. And I am very disappointed and disheartened and am wondering if we've learned our lesson from the Iraq war about the um, building up of uh, media coverage and the positive portrayal of whenever we're going to attack a country. And I want to preface here, 
President uh, or Assad, uh, Bashar al-Assad of Syria is an absolute monster who has killed his own people for, I think, eight years now, maybe at this point. He's just a horrific, horrific human being who de- just deserves the worst of it. And what is happening in Syria is horrifically heartbreaking. It's something I followed for years. I have a lot of friends in the Middle East, and I visited refugee camps and seeing what they gone through and watching these videos of Syrian children who have literally had their insides burned out by bombs. It's, it's horrific. It's, uh, there's no, it's basically a modern day Holocaust. I mean, if you want to go and say it's like that, but I feel as though the action taken by our president right now is not respectful of the or understanding of the overall situation and what we may be getting ourselves into there are so many players right now in this conflict which is increasingly convoluted by the day i personally i wish personally wish that president obama had done something maybe earlier in his administration but not necessarily from a military standpoint maybe have a more diplomatic force or something to resolve the conflict quickly but Unfortunately, as we all know, the situation in Syria has escalated and spiraled out of control that I feel at this point we would be getting ourselves into a quagmire. And about President Trump himself, and uh, I don't know exactly why he decided to make this military strike now. It might be because he saw uh, images of the recent horrific chemical attack that Assad waged on his people and was genuinely heartbroken by the images he saw and wanted to do something. It might be because he wants to uh, distance himself away from Putin and, you know, attack Assad to show that he's a stronger man. Or maybe he wants to galvanize more support as he has been doing in certain circles right now in the news media. I don't know. But what I do know is that this president has demonstrated an amazing amount of arrogance and ignorance on virtually all world affairs. And I, you know, I remember several years ago, he was complaining against President Obama, uh, saying that he shouldn't attack Syria now because it would be a disaster. And look at what he's doing right now as someone who has no military experience, no understanding or interest in understanding foreign policy now making this move. I think we all need to be extremely critical right now of what we could potentially be getting ourselves into, lest, God forbid, we have another Iraq war. Um, So I highly advise our listeners to pay attention to the situation closely, recognize and remember that Bashar al-Assad is, of course, a monster who deserves nothing but the worst uh, punishment, but we need to understand what we would actually be getting ourselves into if we continue to escalate in Syria. So, yeah, that's my <laughs> band of fire for this week. Really heavy stuff. So, yeah. Swara, thanks, man. Yeah. John, you get to do it. You get to put in your band of fire this week. <laughs> What's on your mind? Um, it's actually, it's, <laughs> it's the new Thrawn book that's coming out in two days. Ooh, awesome. Yay. By Timothy Zahn. So he, he announced it at Celebration in London. Um, and the funny thing about that was that I was, he came to awesome con in Washington DC the previous June and, uh, <clears throat> he was being interviewed by Bria Lavornia of Toshi station. And he, she asked him, you know, would you ever want, you know, want to write another th- book with Ron? And he said, well, they've got, they've got my number. 
fast forward two months <laughs> or a month, <laughs> and we find out he's been working on this for, I don't know, six months at least, if not longer. So never play poker with a guy. He will beat your hands down. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, he, to seeing what he, how he does all that backstory for this incredibly iconic character. Oh, man, that book it's is going to be amazing. amazing. Did you read um, the excerpt, by the way? No, but I'm trying to. I, 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 oh, I want to do the whole thing. And it's I, the only time I've ever done gotcha. that. I got yeah, but it, yeah, but it's like I've got it on on pre-order. It'll download. It comes midnight. out and just yeah, days. Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah. when this episode comes out, that book will be out. Yeah. Which means we might need to relook at our episode order. Try, <laughs> try, to, try to get a Thrawn a Thrawn episode in as soon as possible because there are going to be some uh, some politics to that oh, yeah. too. Definitely. Um, my Bantha fodder. I've been obsessed for the past uh, month with the People versus OJ. The F series uh, that is now on Netflix so I've been blazing through that I actually just finished and I was just really taken by it I have seen the OJ Simpson ESPN documentary um, made in America but this dramatic um, interpretation of the story just sort of left me with this this deep impression that um, tribal politics and and racial division in this country, like was just made that much worse by that trial. I, I think yeah. it's every every police um, versus the black community situation that has come up since then has been in the frame of the O.J. Simpson mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. story, and I I just think we we all we almost don't even give enough credit to how damaging that entire ordeal was. I mean, the trauma endured by the community that O.J. Simpson lived in at that time, um, Los Angeles, is just sort of unbelievable to me. Um, I watched this movie in sequence with a little thing I was trying to do, which is I watched uh, Spielberg's Lincoln, and then I watched (laughs) All the Way, uh, the LBJ story, Mm. and then I watched the O.J. series, and then I watched 13th on Netflix. 13th is the documentary on um, mass incarceration and mm-hmm. basically how the prison system today is the new version of Jim Crow. And so if you just kind of want a cinematic journey through, I think, <laughs> race relations yeah, in yeah. this country in a way that ends in a very substantive and current place um, – I, I just I I enjoyed and I feel like I learned a lot from watching Lincoln all the way the O.J. Simpson story on Netflix and then Thirteenth on Netflix. Um, you just sort of get things framed uh, in an important way in a way that we all need to be more um, aware of. I it, it it just sort of blows my mind when I watch some of these films of just how recent some of the deep scars of racial division Mm. in our country are. LBJ and the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act of 64 and 65 seem like a lifetime ago, but I, there are people in my neighborhood who were children during that. And then when you think about the idea, I think a lot of, a lot of white conservatives just want people of color to move on from, from this time period. Like everything's (laughs) fine now. Um, it's not a big deal. Like, oh, we I had a black president. Look at yeah, that. I, we had a black president. Racism's over. I didn't do anything to you. Racism right. is over. Everything's fine. And you just have to remember, 
there are people in your neighborhood who, when they were children, they wouldn't have been allowed to vote in this country. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. expect them to just, everything's fine? It's no. Everything's not fine. Um, nope. That's my bantha fodder. Um, <laughs> I, I highly recommend People vs. O.J. Simpson and also 13th on Netflix. Uh, yeah, go check was, it out. I was in grad school when the the decision, the, the jury made its decision on the O.J. case. And oh, I wow. just remember... The whole country literally came to a screeching halt for those ten minutes mm-hmm. while they gave out the verdict, and wow. you, you you read about how you know a, a lot of African Americans would be cheering and celebrating as they finally got you know I believe they finally saw a black men you know be uh, go, go innocent, and then you had the a lot of white Americans going wait wait a minute what the hell's going on what? so just, it, it, yeah. how it, it really did polarize. The yeah, country for I, a good I chunk mean, of the time. I was learning to ride a bicycle. I was not in grad school. That does just show my age right there, but yeah. I was probably like taking the training training wheels off my bike. <laughs> what, but, what year was the case again? Uh, 96. 90, well, it, went he, through, it was 94. The White Bronco chase was in 1994. I was living in Costa Rica at the time. But the case was... Went through ninety five and I think possibly part of ninety six as well. Y'all, this is this has been a, a wild and fun episode. We are definitely up against time here. Um, this has been the military appropriations and budgeting process of the Clone Wars, episode twenty eight, another good Beltway Banthus. A really good episode, guys. I really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed him. Thanks for having me. John, thank you so much for being with us. And where can folks find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Juan John Jedi. That's J U A N J O H N Jedi. Hopefully, people can know how to spell that. <laughs> <laughs> and you should follow Juan John Jedi. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent. 89, that's Stephen with a PH underscore K-E-N-T 89. And you can connect with Beltway Banthas at Beltway Banthas on Twitter as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Swarasaleh1. That's S-W-A-R-A-S-A-L-I-H-1. You can find, as I said, my group, Facebook group Sounds from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Just type it in on Facebook and request to join. You can find some of my previous work on Huffington Post and on Newsweek. And uh, request for our listeners, please, please, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps the show. Tell us what we can do better or what we're doing well and helps other people find the show as well. And we are very excited to hear those reviews. Y'all, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. We didn't say may the force be with you. Oh. And may the force be with you. Always. May the force be with you guys. (laughs) 